Good afternoon. This is the Reverend Jay Glover here, and I'm um, glad to be here once again. I, of course, invite folks to come in and join this conversation. The topic that I've selected today is, in fact, um, the being heavenly minded is not good enough, and I'm basing this conversation off of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a very well-known story from the Bible. Um, it comes from the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> the 10th chapter. Um, and, and I think that there are truths to be gleaned from this story and, and insights that we can gain from for applications in our life today. Um, and the, the scripture comes from, um, the scripture comes from uh, the 10th chapter of Luke in verses 30 to 31 says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he fell into the hands of the robbers, they, they stripped him of his clothes. They, they beat him and, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest, um, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So just imagine that. Um, uh, a man is laying wounded on the side of the road and a, a priest, uh, a representative of the religious community, he, he's passing by and he sees this man um, and he just passes by on the other side of the road. So now, um, once again, I, I, if you're familiar with this story, um, please join in and, and let me hear your take on it or what lessons we can learn from this story today. Um, if and if you haven't heard the story, let's just go through it and, and find out what we can bring into our um, uh, understanding this today. So I say that um, this story in and of itself, for me, it carries, it clearly articulates an indictment against the religious leaders of the day, who, as the story says, passed by on the other side. And when I say pass by on the other side, I read the text and said that the man was laying on the ground, um, beaten very badly, and, and they saw him and they just kept on walking. These are religious people, representatives of the religious community. And it was not, as you read this story, um, you know, this, this man, again, he was they were deliberately avoiding a man that was left for dead and lay suffering on the side of the road. So now, it was not, as you further read the story, it was not only one religious leader, but two of them who, who both passed by this wounded man and with eyes closed to the, the suffering and, and their hearts not moved to compassion, they both call, I believe that they both call our attention to this same issue today. Um, so the question is, you know, I believe that this question is certainly a, uh, an indictment against the religious community, leaders in particular, and, and people, people of faith. The question arises that um, it brings us to a moment of self-examination and reflection. Are we, as people of faith, inattentive and even unresponsive to the needs of others? Um, so again, you know, the Bible, it, talks, it tells us this story from the 10th chapter of Luke, um, and we find, you know, it's preceded the, the part that I shared right before that, we see a person before Jesus gets to saying that, telling that story, the, the context is this, he's, he's in a conversation with an expert of the law and he's attempting to, this person is attempting to test Jesus with the question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this question is coming from a person whose faith tradition taught them that righteousness was achieved through adherence to the law. And, and Jesus says, well, what is it that's written in the scripture? And, and, and the, um, the, the person who asked the question, he, he accurately, very accurately recites the scripture. And he says, the scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so Jesus identified these uh, as the two greatest commandments from the Old Testament. Um, uh, Jesus answered with those, with those verses. Um, uh, 
loving God. I'll say this, that loving God is, is expressed throughout, not only through our obedience to the word, our study, our prayer, our fellowship, but also our living lives that reflect the image of God in this world. And to love your neighbor, what does that mean? That, that is to compassionately, righteously, and responsibly seek their, their well-being as well as ours. And the two of these things are inseparable. So we, as we strive towards equality, justice, and peace, it should be without exclusion when it comes to other people. Jesus answered him again, said, you have answered correctly when the guy um, quotes the scripture. Jesus says, do this and you will live. And in effect, Jesus is telling him, you got it. Now go ahead and do that, right? And the man asked another question. Well, wait a minute, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus launches into this story of what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, Jesus uh, tells the story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and, and um, you know, they robbed him and they beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. So, so far in the story, what we hear is, um, we hear mention of a man and we hear mention of robbers so far. And the man in this story is nameless, but I want to tell you that he's just like you and I. He was traveling along a road, just like we all do, as we travel along the road of our own life's journey. The man is walking along a dangerous road. This road was known for its risks, its dangers, and its perils that lie along this, this dusty and ancient road. And the story describes his experience. It says that he fell into the hands of robbers. He was stripped of his clothing, beaten, robbed, and left for dead. He finds himself wounded on the side of this hot and dusty road, and he's unable to help himself. So please just, just place yourself in that story and see this man laying on the side of the road. It's hot, it's dusty, and he's beaten so bad that he's unable to do anything. He's unable to even call for help. He's desperate. He's in need of care, and he could have died on that day. If he couldn't walk and nobody came to his aid and nighttime came, he would have even have been um, exposed to the risk of predatory animals killing him and eating him as he lay there dying. And the, the scavenger birds of the air would have picked away at his flesh and no one would have even known that he was even ever there. He would have been remembered as having gone missing. The next group of people that we're involved, that uh, we're introduced to in this story is, are the robbers and the thieves. Um, these guys represent certainly the embodiment of a force of evil in this world today. And their character mirrors um, to me, it mirrors a, a demonically influenced mindset and activity in our world today. They're willing to take what belongs to others through acts of violence without a, with, with a disregard, a total disregard for the sacredness of human life. They don't care and they're willing to take somebody else's stuff um, through acts of violence. Um, so they act like, you know, the one who opposes God in all things, who people, Christians, refer to the spirit of the devil or of evil. Um, uh, you know, that, that spirit that will try to convince you that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. The, that same spirit, the, the enemy of your well-being, that will try to lure you and your faith to a place where you no longer trust God. The, this ungodly spirit will try to rob you of your humanity and your dignity. It's a spirit that will try to take away your well-being, your peace, and your joy. Um, uh, to move you from, from being in communion with the grace and the love of God. It'll try to hurt you and leave you and I both dying in the middle of the road along our faith journey. So, so far we have the, the man and we have the, the robber, uh, the robbers who beat him to half the death and took everything that he had and left him to die. As the story continues, we're introduced to two more characters in the story that, to me, represent the failures of the leaders of the religious community. Now, I'm an ordained um, minister in the, in the Baptist tradition, but this story gives a, a, it serves up an indictment against the religious leaders of the day. The Bible says that a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. 
And so too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. These are two more people. Now the priest uh, introduced in the story. The priest was a, uh, a representative and a leader in the faith community. He was a spiritual man. He, he was looked up in, in looked up to in society for his, for his role in, in the practice of their faith tradition. His appearance was rather priestly and his visible activity in the temple seemed to confirm, seemed to confirm that his heart was in the right place with, with God. Yes, so this is a priest and he's very priestly, but yet uh, he was all of that. But along this dusty road, in the heat of the day, <clears throat> when nobody else was around, his character was also on display. Um, and what we notice is that he was inattentive to the suffering of this fallen man. He, he deliberately avoided getting involved in assisting, assisting this man who had fallen on the side of the road. Um, this man, this priest, his mind was in the heavens, but his feet were on the ground and his heart was in hell. His inappropriate response to the needs of this fall, fallen man fell short in the eyes of God, for sure. So the Bible tells us that there were two of them who passed by this man on the side of the road. The other man was a Levite, and he was also a representative of the faith community. He also worked in the temple, sharing responsibilities with the priest. He also was too busy. He was too preoccupied um, with self to stop and assist someone in need. Somehow, he, he knew the law of God, but I, I'm proposing that he failed to embrace the heart of God. He, he didn't know the love of God and had no idea of the, the character of God. So his inattentiveness and disregard for the man's condition, it was selfish, it was ungodly, and it was a bad reflection on the faith community. Now, um, uh, I'm sure that there are people today on, that are in this listening audience that can, that can uh, identify with the relationship between religious people and the needs of people who are suffering and, and are, are, is the faith community at times, are leaders in the faith community, are people in the faith community inattentive to the needs of others because they're too, they're, you know, as we say, they're heavenly minded, but they're no earthly good. So that's the topic today. Being heavenly minded is not good enough based on what comes from this, what we learn from this uh, story of the Good Samaritan. The, the, um, so without a doubt, this story serves up a stinging indictment against the religious leaders of the day. The priest and the Levite had run into a, an unplanned ministry opportunity and they ignored it. And as this um, story explicitly points the finger at the leaders in the religious community, they are not the only people called to accountability. As this story has revealed the failures of the mindset of the priest and the Levite, we are also called to self-examination. The question again is, are we, as people of faith, inattentive and unresponsive to the needs of others? And I'll take that a step further and say, are we inattentive and unresponsive to our own needs? Are we willing to leave ourselves on the side of the road of life's journey, beaten down by life and with a, with a hesitation towards self-care? So, so um, the story continues with an introduction of another character. I have a guest coming in and we'll, we are Darlene Anderson is coming in. Thanks for joining, Darlene. I guess you're familiar, a little familiar with the story. I'd like to hear what you have to say. I mean, yes, and I don't think we're open to understanding that we have the ability to do a reset in America mm -hmm. simply because so many people don't understand the process and the intent behind the process locally. People don't understand the whole process of oversight and accountability. Simply because the federal government simply backed away when uh, I think it was one of those Bushes that were in office said that if the people within the state 
are not complaining. The federal government's not going to get involved simply because the states have a, a, a duty to the citizens, but the citizens have a duty to themselves. And if they're not speaking out, it is a problem. But when we choose to compromise, and those compromises that we have made truly hurt the ability for evolution, then it is a problem because we have to look and see what's happened over time. I listened to a lot of younger people trying to understand what's going on and they're interviewing people that are homeless, that are just broken. And then you see people who are doing good things for people and changing their lives overnight simply because they have just been beaten by the ability to try to engage in the process without the level of skills necessary and then people say, oh, that's just bad parenting. And I say, no, I'm saying the community is just broken and the expectation for the advantage or the expectation of sovereignty, just saving, having your ability to save yourself is limited out there. Right. And here we are when we can listen to people talk about how they went and got incarcerated, but then when they got out, the system didn't give them the ID. And do you know if you don't have an address, even if you had social security before you went in and got locked up, you can't get your check anymore until you get an address. But how do you get a an address without having any resources? And some of these people have been locked up for so long when they get, when they get out, there ain't nothing for them. And, and the few people that are trying to do the support. Well, they don't have the ability because what? The system is functioning still every single day as if it is beneficial to us. And here we are, we don't say nothing. But we can watch and understand the devastation in Ukraine and understand that our community did the same thing with the North and the South. And perhaps the South felt that they have just as much right to rule and govern. You see Kevin McCarty, he was sitting up there, he had a whole lot to say about how he was going to encourage uh, the Donald to leave office. But oh, he denied it so quickly, but he forgot that we are recording every single thing that we are doing. And, and he got caught up in his own lie, amazingly. Yeah, you know what, I like what you said, what you, you bring my mind to, to say this, that although that this story is, is in the context of a biblical story, we can certainly, you know, and, I, and I'm saying in the, that this story serves up an indictment against religious leaders, but actually it calls us all to accountability when it comes to being aware of, of other people's needs and suffering and our attentiveness to, to those needs. Uh, mm -hmm. we, can make, we can make this world a better place but it takes people like um, like you, Darlene, and people like me to try to come together and offer some some assistance to those that are in need, whose lives are broken along the side of the road of life. I mean, I understand, I mean, that there are churches that do a lot of work in the community, but then there are churches that deal with faith alone. And the faith is nothing without the works. But when we look and understand what we've created over time, we have the Department of Health and Human Services. Here in Clark County, Las Vegas, where I live, mm -hmm. the Health and Human Services Department is involved in some removal of children who have been abused or whatever, but then they're not giving these children any services. It's just mm -hmm. broke. And then they're removing so many children. And then the pain that you hear from the people, oh, somebody's coming with a big old motorcycle, but the pain you hear from the people when they're describing how to retain their children. And that love is just totally disregarded. And that is painful in itself. But we just turn away and act as if, well, they should have did this. And how do you pull yourself up by your booster if you don't have nothing to pull up? And it's just a reality that some people are given so much, but if we don't give back, what do we have as a nation? We don't have a nation at all. And we fail if we allow ourselves to be guided down the rosy path of hell. As you know, we can't get all caught up in things that people choose to do. Mm -hmm. Choice is everything. And then their families are in it until the money is over. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we're asking for additional support to support who and what because you don't know what happened behind those closed doors. But I promise you this, if you get a gift and you disregard the gift of life, then you're not here long, because I can promise you, I have witnessed that. I had an opportunity, three strikes, I was out, but the last one seemed to be hanging on, but he should have never been in a relationship when he wasn't free to have a relationship. And I decided 
that it was my responsibility because I should have known by the age of 38 how to respond. And I stepped up. And my youngest, who, because I was working at a, at, at a college in Sacramento, California, Las Vegas Community College District, because some missed, but I was working in the mailroom and where I was exposed to the copiers in the wintertime, and it was a, a bungalow where they don't have good ventilation and understand that ventilation is everything. Mm -hmm. And when your body takes in those toxins, then it doesn't get rid of them every time you have a pain attack. That's the inflammation. That's crazy. But you can't function after you've been, you know, poisoned, basically. And so you still stand. I was blessed to have my stepfather in my life, and he was in the Air Force. And, and it brought all kind of different opportunities because the founding, the founding services for the people in the military, they get everything they need, including their children, get everything they need. And education is a priority in America. But in the local communities, it's a benefit. And for those who have money can buy, and for those who don't have any, won't get any. And we are letting this happen because we all pay for public education. And enough sure. is enough, because we don't understand how the dollars come down the pike. The dollars are given to states for under the census, and who's counted in the census? Go look. It's the people in poverty. It's the children who are bilingual. The children who are immigrants, they get that money. And the states are supposed to support all of the people. But the people who are providing the guidance got greedy, and only they're the only ones that are getting the benefit because their families connected, that happens. But for the people caught in poverty, who have behavioral issues, who, whose families didn't have any services, the system is just broken. And we are allowing this to continue because we're not having the conversation. It's an urgent conversation of compulsory laws across America that require people to participate in programs that are not benefiting the people and homelessness and the prison rate. And did you understand what prison industries bring to a community when these people are working in the prison and can't get a job when they get out? Help me with all of these things that are inequitable because this is our lives. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a second opportunity to change. This is it. Because COVID hit and it was a reality, a wake-up call for all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's just, thank you for letting me vent. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, I mean, you know, again, as I'm sharing this, this story from the Bible, again, this is written so that we can glean, glean and, and have conversation that comes out of the story. But let's start and you brought up some very practical issues that are are that represent you know people falling by the side of the road being beaten up by life and and who's being attentive to their needs and but we're not doing anything to change the system cps truly exists but it was a not-for-profit agency molina truly exists started off as a not-for-profit agency now they're here here in nevada to support the juveniles in the juvenile system because Nevada was just abusing these children. And then what they elected to do is accept the complaint from the Department of Justice so that they would get out of their hair, basically. And I filed a complaint because simply I asked for the information for the services that the children are being given in the harbor, in the haven. And the haven is being supported by the Department of Health and Human Services. And I was listening last night to their presentation as they had to have a meeting because Nevada didn't get approved for its Part B money or its Part C money because I filed a complaint. And as everything that they were doing and sharing, I was sharing it to DC too because they were lying. You understand what the lie is? It's presenting shit that is just not true. I've only had this opportunity because I was put in a position to participate in the education system because I couldn't work. But I had three children and I had to support them. And it's just been a blessing. I'm about to run out of my seconds. <laughs> you are. Well, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit more of the story. If you want to come back on, please feel free. I'm just going to read a little bit more. So this story, and, and again, thank you so much for coming. Um, this story introduces, uh, it begins with an introduction of another character. And this, it's, it reads like this. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him and took pity on him. He, he, um, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine on it. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day, he takes out some money, he gives it to the innkeeper and says, listen, please look after him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses that you might incur for this gentleman. Now, first of all, this story is called The Good Samaritan. I'm going to tell you that in that culture, in that day, I don't think there was anything um, in, in the people of that day and the religious leaders that are in this story, I don't think they thought there was such a thing as a Good Samaritan. The, the um, Russell Pragent in, in his book, Engaging the New Testament, he tells the reader that Samaria was a region in Palestine. It was to the north of Judah and the south of Galilee. It was named as the, the capital of the city of the northern monarch, monarchy of Israel. And the Samaritans were bitter enemies of the Jews. Even though the two people shared, um, shared roots, in the ancient Hebrew faith, but the Samaritans had become a separate society with their own version of the Torah. Um, and, and for some time, they had the, even had their own temple. Um, so again, in the minds of the people of that day, there may have been no such thing as a good Samaritan. The Samaritan was from a marginalized community. They were not, look, they were looked down upon as being not real Jews. And, and one of the reasons they say Russell preaching, he offers this explanation. He says that when Assyria conquered this northern kingdom of Israel, many of the Israelites were um, exiled from the land and some were left behind. And then the Assyrians brought many captives from other lands back to Israel. And as a result, the many Jews intermarried with these people. So the, the Samaritans of Jesus' day were supposed to be descendants of those intermarriages and, and the animosity between the Jew and the Samaritan was strong. It was, it was, um, it went on for years and years and years. And they were, the, the Samaritans were de derogatorily referred to and considered as half-breeds because of their intermarrying with other people. They were disliked. They were targets of bitterness, hatred, and prejudice. There was a tension between the Jew and the Samaritan. The, the Samaritans were generally not looked upon as good people. So in this story, the Samaritans were the outsiders. They were the outcast and the excluded. But this story, we find the good Samaritan in the story told by Jesus, the one who would act. He would stand up and act as the agent of change in this story. He would be the one who stepped up to the plate and acted towards rescuing this man on the side of the road and attending to his suffering on the scene. So the Bible tells us that when he saw the man, the, when the, the good Samaritan saw the man, unlike the priest and the Levite, he went to him, bandaged his wound, he, he took care of him, he took him to the inn and, and um, paid with his own money for the well-being of this man. I have another guest coming in. Darlene's coming back. There she is. How are you, Darlene? Hello? I mean, you're talking about someone who has compassion. Not everybody has compassion. Mm -hmm. And people have no value if they don't understand the struggle. And, and when they see themselves, they don't see themselves in the people that they are passing judgment on. And we've gotten to a point in America where the expectation is that everybody has to do the same thing. Compliance is everything. And for African-Americans, if they fail to comply, they just simply die. And our people have not been able to rectify this over the years simply because they are busy demonstrating that we are not worthy, basically. So many of our children are not graduating from public schools. And why? because we're punishing our children for not making it there. But guess what? The environment that the children are in is not beneficial. But the obligation for public education and for people who understand the power in local control means the local people are making decisions on the ground to oversee the people that they're giving their gift to. But when you never show up, who do you think is going to provide that input? I just would like to know. Because failure is not an option, but it is the only option that the children are facing when they can be promoted with the letter grade of F. Doesn't that denote fraud to you? But if the people in America are not talking about the inability to benefit from the mandatory 
public services that are mandatorily provided to states to have the power to remove your children because if you have a child, if you've not gone to court, this legal thing of the state's rights is the state has the opportunity and obligation to remove your child because they technically have custody. That's why I learned that early. My son was autistic and he... Mm. and. But, it wasn't because he was autistic, it was because he was having grandma seizures. And when the first seizure happened, I honestly didn't understand what was going on. But I had moved in a, a, a unit that was built over a toxic waste site, and I can't honestly say that didn't affect him. Because as long as I lived there, he had grandma seizures, but I moved away from there. And within one year, the, the seizures you know, stopped. We have to understand we are only human, but when people are trying to be good do-gooders, but don't really come down to you to understand the effect of the choices that they're making, and we have just compromised all of our self-worth because so many of us are just not heard. And without a voice, no one speaks for the voiceless. You can have compassion. You can try to provide a way out of no way. And perhaps you will touch someone that is motivated to understand or you connect with. And then we can start rebuilding. But if we can't connect, we can't rebuild because we don't have a foundation. And you can't ask me to expect organizations that have gotten so large, that love to walk on the red carpet, that are ineffective, that are not advocating for the poor and the hungry. when. When women will be incarcerated, let out on the street with no money in the middle of the night, right. and then pulled right back into the same thing that they got in trouble for, but that's all they got was in between their legs. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. They have nothing. But when they right. will take their children and continue to pay for the care of their children and allow them to be adopted by other people and not to have the ability to regain what's you. Are we crazy? You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because we've not stood on family values. We've not stood on anything. We managed to have civil rights, but understand the warning regarding civil rights is Ahmaud Arbery. It is Amir Locke. It was, you know, whatever. You could just name them. It's painful to understand that these young people were not given the right to live. And we live in a country that we have a right to a trial by our peers, but yet and still, willful defiance, failure to comply, what's left over from slavery, right, right, enough right. is enough. Because if you don't ever write your Congress member or you don't ever show up to vote the person in office, but when he get in there, he can't meet with you. That's mm -hmm. something different, ain't it? Right. Yep, yep. I'm just trying to understand what it is because they refuse to meet with black people. They don't want to feel like they're compromising the people who look like them. You know, you have to be seen as what? And so we have to be heard also. And being heard is relevant because the more and more minds that are awakened, they can participate in the conversation. But, oh, yeah, maybe that is right. How does that work? Because people don't understand public education was never free. Mm -hmm. Never. So many people died for the right to engage in the process. And here we are. And here we stand. You understand what I'm saying? We're still here. But So what do you think? Um, let me ask you this. What do you think that we can do in terms of ed educating our younger um, younger folk towards... Well, I mean, let's understand why should they value what they're being given. I want to understand when we haven't analyzed and demanded a level of accountability for what is free and what is deemed to be appropriate. We're not talking about the failed services. No, we're allowing them to say our children are so dysfunctional, they don't qualify for educational services anymore. Are you serious? Pimpin' ain't easy, but these people have made us feel like we're not entitled if we don't have basic skills, but the obligation for them to demonstrate a maintenance of effort for all of the federal dollars and they don't produce nothing, and we don't say nothing, I'm sorry, that day is over. So why should your child go to school every day and get letter grades of F and then we're paying them salaries, benefits, and jacuzzi land behind private gates and our children are deemed to walk the street and sell their ass, it's unacceptable. You understand? 
Every year, a quarter of a million dollars or millions and billions of dollars are going out to sustain education because it's the one thing you need to survive. And our people get nothing. This is insanity because they feel that we're not complying. What are we not complying with? Help me with that comment. You understand what I'm saying? I believe in benefiting. I believe in participation. I know that I have a right to speak out. And when people would tell me from the Department of Education that I can no longer advocate for what I'm asking for, the data, then they fail to understand that this is America. And perhaps I'm an American too. And they don't own me anymore. I'm not owned. And so if I know who I am, understand me. We all need to understand we are just who we become by the trials and tribulations that we are on this journey and we must stand up and fight and fight to this is it. I don't believe there's another opportunity to turn this shit around because it's horrifying to hear women talk about being incarcerated at a young age, not getting a high school diploma, not having the ability to sustain themselves, then having their children removed. As soon as they get pregnant, they have to go and get in labor and the, commute, the people come and take that baby and give it to somebody else. Help me with that. That woman is now just a producer for the Harvest of Souls. It's not happening, but it is happening. And I have to say, who are we in 2022? Because this is not supposed to be happening. This is not the dream that I dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And when I said the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to that flag that sits these people together. But I did not say I would not speak out on what I believed in forever. And so it just makes me angry. But who am I? One soul well, waiting for well, others. So, so... You know, when I listen to you, what I definitely hear is someone who's experienced, just like the man in the story, who was, who was beaten and robbed and left to die on the side of the road. That's what I'm sensing, that not only you, but a whole lot of other people have been this, have, have their lived experience has been one of that was um, caused much suffering in our lives. And, and um, the thing is this, that I believe that now we can't completely rely on. I, I, do, I, I do like this, that what, what you're talking about makes me think that as this story serves up an indictment against the religious community for not for stepping over this man while he's suffering, it brings our attention and accountability to the fact that um, we need to be more attentive to the needs of people in very practical ways. You talked about women in prison and children. You talked about education and, and students getting F grades and, and just going through this. But system. do you know that mm -hmm. they take children from the women who have babies and they keep them in the system and when they're incarcerated? Mm. It's unacceptable. But we let this happen. Right. So, you know, again, this, this is, we're talking about not being so heavenly minded that you know earthly. There are a lot of things you, everybody wants to get to heaven, but Jesus even talks about, you know, the, the, let the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how can we then, you know, do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? Um, Darlene certainly um, was the voice. She, she clearly articulated um, some of the problems that we have in, in much of the problems that we have in society and very painful experience of women in prison having their babies taken and kept in the prison system. Um, um, so this again, it, this goes to this, this, um, this, this story of, of people being left to die on the side of the road. You know? and, but this, this good Samaritan who came about he was willing to pay a price for this man's well-being, his his restoration. He was willing to put up his own money. He he, um, he had a little bit of money. He had some privilege, and he was willing to purpose his privilege towards the well-being of another person. What's interesting about this Good Samaritan story is that we see an example of the outsider acting better than the insider, as they say. The outsider being someone not in the mainstream of the uh, Jewish religious community. He was acting this outsider, the one who was despised and, and the outcast. He was acting better than the religious leaders of the day. Jesus chose to use a despised and rejected person to make the point in the story. And so it was the outcast and who cared for and demonstrated love for their neighbor by being attentive to their, to their needs. Um, 
So here we have the story of the outcast acting more in accordance with the will of God than the established priesthood and the faith community. Then next in this story that comes up is the inn and the innkeeper. And, and we had, you know, the, the, the good Samaritan cared for this man, put him on his donkey and took him to a, an inn, a, you know, a little hotel, right? And um, if, if Jesus mentions this person in the institution, in the story then and it deserves our time as well to explore this place and the person of the innkeeper so the inn it was a place of refuge it was a little hotel a place of rest recovery healing and restoration the inn is a type of like what the church is supposed to be today where the suffering and the wounded can embrace the healing process and and this is exactly what the, I believe the point, one of the points in the story is that the church is supposed to be a place where wounded people can come and rest and rest be restored in the presence of the Lord. Unfortunately, what happens often is that wounded people come to the church and get wounded even further. Whereas, you know, um, the church is supposed to be a place where we gather worship, fellowship, study, and pray, where people are reconciled with God, where healing, growth, and transformation happens, all so that we can do God's will on this earth as it is in heaven. We can't say that we were always so spiritual that we're thinking about going to heaven and ignore the needs of the suffering in this world. Those two things don't go together. I mean, um, you can't have one without the other. You serve God. The, the, the path to serving God is, serve, is through humanity, through divinity, through humanity. So you serve God through serving people in this world. It's not just about what you think about God, it's also about what you do here. Um, so the innkeeper was, he was the overseer of the inn, he was the manager. And he could have rejected this client, but he didn't. He could have said, I don't want to invite any trouble into my hotel. Don't bring this beat up man here. I don't know, they might come after me next. But he didn't do that. He, um, you know, and reminds me of another innkeeper who, who said that in the Bible, it said there was no room for Jesus when, he, when his mother was preparing to give birth. He said no. But this innkeeper uh, received the fallen man and he offered this, this ministry of hospitality and recovery to a victim of violence. You know, uh, and can we offer recovery to a victim whose lives have been, whose violence has been committed against them? A child born in a prison system, as Darlene mentioned, can uh, can we offer some assistance, or do we just leave it up to everybody else to even be attentive to this? So, you know, I find that sometimes the church is so, uh, people in the church are so, um, so self-absorbed with their own blessings and and heaven, heaven mindset that they are, are, are very individualistic. And it's all about, you know, it becomes individual salvation instead of community salvation and rescue and restoration. So we need to move beyond the, the paralyzing grips of self, self um, uh, you know, salvation and, and think about community and the wellness of community. So, you know, um, um, this man was uh, was a, a victim of violence, and violence shows up in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, violence is a troubling force in our society, just as, just as it was then. When I turn on the news, I see violent outbursts all over the world. You know, and, and recently you hear of political tensions becoming more um, visible through through violent act, uh, people acting violently. Um, um, people arming themselves with military-grade weapons and pouring out into the streets and people getting shot all in the, under the banner of the disguised in patriotism and protectionism and, and religious rhetoric. And so, you know, those who arm themselves with weapons and portray themselves as champions of patriotism, saviors, and rescue of society, I, I propose to you today that this is a lie. It's birthed out of the sewer of desperation and fear. And, and lies that are constructed and drawn from a, the cesspool of sin. This is, this is um, stands antithetical to, to the will of God for us in this life. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said that, you know, we must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. You know, the idea of, of protest is to bring global attention to, to systemic injustices built into our system and bring change. So when, when, um, when we deteriorate into violence, 
We give license to the governing authorities to step in with police power, military power to suppress the violence. And um, so therefore, as people engage in violent protests, they end up actually contributing to the develop further development of police state and police action and um, where oppression will worsen and freedom is denied. So our young people, I, I would encourage us not to be deceptively lured into the trappings of those who oppose peace. Uh, you know, you can be dragged into violent confrontations and and the, the ones who, who encourage violence are only um, trying to take the power out of your meaningful protest. And I believe that violence is really never the answer and, and let us do everything that we can to not allow our young folks to be lured into thinking and acting in a way that supports any form of violence, especially when, when we're supposed to be striving for social change and, and, and bettering. So um, as opposed to the protest that needs to be accompanied by, um, education um, towards our young folks need to be educated. I think that they need to be educated in terms of not relying on other folks for their education and taking education into their own hands and um, uh, and we need to you know and it, even with jobs they need to have more of an entrepreneurial spirit they need to have um, be more engaged in in political platforms um, for the betterment of their community so that when people when we hear people like Darlene express her her um, her suffering over the years and the suffering of other people that she's heard and experienced, um, I think that we can no longer as a church and even as not even as church folk, but just as people, as human beings, we cannot be inattentive to the um, suffering of everybody in our community. So, you know, if we did acts of kindness and acts of charity towards one another, um, I think the world would be a better place. And I do have hope for a brighter tomorrow if we can come together and, and um, like this good Samaritan, um, just stop in our busy life and, and um, help somebody else along their way. And it doesn't have to be huge um, acts of, of charity. You know, you don't have to necessarily go to another country and build wells of water. You can, you can buy a family in your community a, a bag of groceries. You can do small things. You can help an elderly person um, get keep their doctor's appointments. You know, um, they have a hard time doing that. Um, there are elderly people who can't keep their doctor's appointments, who who can't, are not taking their medications properly. And we can be of help with these type of things to kind of ease the suffering. You can be uh, more, we can be attentive to the needs of, of our young people who are um, challenged in many ways in this world. Um, with education and trying to go to college and being um, swamped with college debt, so there's there's a there's a lot that we can offer younger folk um, along their life journey. And so I would just encourage us to to help somebody to, along the way. We might not we might not make huge political advances, and that of course would would be the goal, and we need to be active in, in that arena. But there are also small things that we can do. Um, uh, you know, to give somebody a glass of water in the name of Jesus and it may help them. I, I met a gentleman who, who um, you know, who, who, he read that scripture of giving somebody a glass. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And what he does is he goes out into the desert and, and, and um, leaves water for those people who are trying to cross the border, um, coming to, to the United States. Um, now, um, you know, I'm not saying that borders should be open or closed, right? But what I am saying is that there are people who go behind these people placing water in the desert and cut open the jugs of water so that the water bleeds out. And what ends up happening is um, little children, men, women, and children end up dying in the desert. And I don't think that's the answer to, to, the, to the issue. So um, whether you don't um, support people coming into the country or not, I think from a humanitarian lens, that we shouldn't be running out there, place cutting open the jugs of water and taking away the food that's laid in the desert for people who to come um, across in that journey. You know, people are dying every day in the desert, and you never even know that they're there, that they were ever there, because as I talked about earlier in this session, they they, they get lost, detained in the desert, as they say. They get um, they get um, 
you know, they die and they get eaten by animals and the birds pick away their flesh and, and they just go missing. So um, uh, if we can just act in ways that are um, kind to people and, and help be helpful to people, um, <clears throat> even if you don't agree whether or not they should be coming across the border. Here, another group that receives much condemnation are LGBTQ um, young people. Um, I myself, I don't um, identify as, as LGBTQ person, but I'll tell you this, um, they, they receive, they are the targets of much um, religious condemnation. And, 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 you know, I don't support that. I don't want to be the person of God who, who pushes the transgender kid to, to suicide. Um, now, I think that's very ungodly behavior. I think that um, you need to let people know that God loves them as opposed to you telling them that God hates them. Um, so we need to, you know, things like this. They're, 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 they, you don't know what they've been through in their life, and yet when they come to you, you're, you're condemning them because of their identity. I think we have to be very careful of that. I, again, I don't want to be the person who, who condemns the, the, the LGBTQ student, the transgender person, who, who um, you know, they say that the suicide rates amongst transgender people now are approaching 50%. That means that five out of 10 kill themselves. Now, you know, I've heard religious people say horrible things like, well, they deserve it. They're going to hell. And you know, and listen, I think that Jesus never looked into the eyes of anyone that he didn't love. And the Bible is full of stories about Jesus sitting with everyday people and embracing them and, and extending his, his, um, his, his, um, his love towards them. And we need to be the same. So um, instead of uh, stepping over the needs of people who are suffering, as the men did in this story, we need to um, step up and help them. So I'm, I'm about done here. And um, I just want us to be encouraged to to bring uh, come to a place of, of assistance to folks in need, and through acts of kindness and charity and love and companionship, and we can we can make this world a better place. I really believe we can. Um, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I thank Darlene for coming on simply because she expressed much of the human, the lived human experience that includes so much suffering and pain that we can be more attentive to and we can do something about collectively and individually. Thank you so much for um, stopping by. If anybody wants to come in and has something to say, um, now would be a good time or else I'm going to sign off and see you next time. So thank you so much for coming by and I'll see you next time.